G'day, everyone. Welcome to Guest Lost with a Travel Guide, episode number 22, and we are going to be talking about Syria, place I've never been, place you most likely have never been, but we've got it joining with us, Carly. Now, Carly, this is our second podcast with each other. We did a previous one together about Iraq, and during that podcast, you mentioned you dropped a big bombshell a few minutes in there saying, oh, by the way, I've lived in Iraq for a few years. So let me just sort of summarize but not Iraq. You lived in Syria for a few years. I'll get them confused. Um, but you lived in there. You lived in Syria for a couple of years from 2009, 2011. Now, just before this podcast, it sort of blew me away because I've been doing some research. And in since 2011, so you were there around this period, uh, there has been multi-sided civil war. Uh, Syria was ranked last on the global peace index from 2016 to 2018, making it the most violent country in the world. The conflict has killed more than 570,000 people, resulting in 7.6 million refugees being displaced. Uh, the organisation called the Human Rights Watch determined that the country is the worst in the world in 2010. Now, apparently you were living there at this period, labelled by citizens as the least free in the world. Is that correct? That's what the statistics are saying. That's, that's the, the, the stats. That's, what, that's all pulled off. The most reliable website, Wikipedia. <laughs> There's a lot to unpick there, definitely. So can you, can you, like, honestly, that first podcast blew me away. It's, it's my favorite podcast that I've done to date uh, because of the information you're able to provide. Because many other countries, you can Google it and there's an abundance of tour operators or websites, which is pretty reliable you can't really find a lot of information on Syria. It's very limited. And part of the government has a lot of restrictions on what can be recorded and things like that from what I can gather. So can you, I'd love to unpack this. So the first thing I'd like to ask you, because when I Googled Syria, first thing that popped up was Wikipedia. And then it was like top questions people ask. Well, this is interesting. So top four things that people commonly Google about Syria. Is Syria still at war? What is currently happening in Syria? What is the problem with Syria? Why is Syria at war? Can you sort of summarize that? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So first question, what's happening in Syria now, is it? Is Syria still at war? Parts of Syria are still at war. Again, it's quite difficult to get reliable information both inside and out of Syria because as you've, as you've read, which you're writing readings, that um, it is hard to get accurate information. People living in Syria themselves find it hard to get accurate information because there's lots of government-funded TV. Um, and yes, areas, especially in the north border with Turkey, there are still problems, still problems out there. It's between the government um, and you have lots of different factions fighting for different parts of the land. It's very, very complicated. It gets very confusing uh, when trying to explain it. But yeah, there are still parts that are predominantly unsafe. That is basically my conclusion. Um, I can try to summarize it because I've just recently done hours of research just prior to this podcast. And there's many sort of conflicts or wars in history um, they're probably more easier to understand on the reasons why. This is so complicated for me to try and be able to figure out, but I think it stems back from like post-World War One, mm. and the French occupied it and basically mandated 
their own sort of power there, which is no different than the French that did that in like Southeast Asia. So I think what happened is after World War II, or during World War II, the Nazis completely took over the French. They lost their power. They lost their ability to be able to maintain their presence, uh, which started the, you know, the war with Ho Chi Minh or the Vietnam War because they were present in Southeast Asia. And I think that was the case in um, Syria. So what happened, I think, in the 1950s and 60s and 70s, there was a tremendous amount of conflict. And post-World War II, I think the French um, and the British just put a whole bunch of different types of people in and around the Middle East area and sort of like Israel, for example. And then, uh, but more in recent times, which is, I think, fueled the conflict, is the, there's a very, like I've done my homework. (laughs) Um, you have. <laughs> I, I, I literally I knew that Syria wasn't supposed I didn't know exactly why or the history that sort of fueled anything um, so a guy called Haviz Al-Said was the president from 1971 to 2000 before he passed and his son took over which you may have heard about in the news uh, who's the current president at the moment a very controversial figure which makes alliances with North Korea and Russia a um, mm. bit of a fun fact about this guy. He was a doctor in the mm-hmm. Syrian army and spent years in London. Did you know that? Yeah, his wife's, his wife's uh, British. Whoa. So, yeah. so according to this, me from Australia, you originally, you were from England. And according to my government on smarttrailer.gov.au says, do not enter. You can't even fly there. <laughs> Uh, because of all these conflicts and bad times. But how could the president of Syria, I wonder, um, embrace the Western world in the UK? That That's something very interesting. I don't know. Mm. That's a, I can't say you know him personally. I'd imagine you don't, but it might be any question you might not be <laughs> able to answer. Apparently he used to, uh, before, again, so back in 2010, he used to just wander around the markets in Aleppo. He would, people would... Um, yeah, he would he would just casually walk around the markets and just dine in the top restaurants that people had access to. So he wasn't completely closed off. Now, no, I think that's a different story. <laughs> now, now he's not. Uh, I don't think now he's allowed to leave anywhere. But like, uh, is there a lot of or was a lot of support for him when he was in? Like, still in power? Like when you were living there, are people like, yeah, he's, he's number one. He's doing the best for a country. It, yeah, he's the, he was had a lot of support. I do remember. Um, I mean, it depends who you speak to. I had lots of friends when I lived in Syria. A lot of people um, would say they loved him out of maybe fear. Um, you know, we don't have we don't have free speech as such as we would have in Australia and Britain, of course. So people are always a bit worried about what to say. Who's listening? There are lots of secret police um, haber at their court, so you never know who's listening. So a lot of people would, of course, love their government. But then there were people who would speak quite freely. A lot of my um, student friends, university friends, journalist friends who would not agree with the government, not agree with what they were doing and the certain things they were implementing. As there is in every country, there are always different different factions of people wanting to believe certain things. So there was, um, but now, now in Syria, I mean, I think you'd be hard pressed to find someone who would outwardly come out and say, no, I'm against the government. Those people have left Syria. And they will write from outside. So, what I'm really one of the things I'm interested to know: um, the conflict that now uh, started in 2011. Now, you live there for a couple of years from 2009. Yeah, late 2009. Yeah, 2010. Yeah. Okay. 
why? What motivated you to, to move to <laughs> uh, move to the least the peaceful country on the world? In the well, world. you see, at that time, it wasn't at that. Despite even then, I remember reading a book, um, and it was, and it's, and it said that in up till 2010 or whenever, whenever this guidebook was written, 2009, 2010, it said there'd never been an attack on any Westerner ever in Syria. And I remember I just wanted to pass through Syria to visit Jordan. It was just an access to get through to a place. And then I got offered a job to guide in the Middle East. And I was like, well, I get, I get to go to Jordan. So on my first tour, I went through Syria and I was blown away. By a tree that I'd never really heard of, never read about. It was just a means to get to Jordan. And the hospitality, the kindness, it was something I'd never experienced. I mean, don't get me wrong, they have no idea how to do with rubbish. It's It looks a mess, the country, it always did. You enter and there's rubbish everywhere. There's People carpet, just throw their garbage on the street. Yeah, it's... Wow. There's no... Yeah, but, but then away from, aside from that, so the aesthetic look, the soul of the place was something that I had never experienced in there and around probably I've never experienced it and it was it was something that people would always say I'll wait till you experience the kindness of the people and I always I mean you've traveled a lot Ben as well and it's you sort of think yeah yeah whatever what, you know what what really I could never really understand that so much until I got to that country and it really it really took a different meaning for me and um so many people on our tour would turn around and go back to Syria because a lot of people lived in Damascus. Wow. People, I lived in Aleppo in the north and it was just real community based. People really looked after each other. It was a really, a lot of pride, a lot of humbleness, kindness, despite lots of things they've been through. So it was fascinating to experience that. Sure. <laughs> so the reason why you stayed is for the for the culture or for your day to day Syrians who live in their day to day life. Like you, well, you found I, like a, a connection. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I was leading tours in the Middle East, so I, my tours were operating from Istanbul, across Turkey, through Syria, Jordan, through to Cairo and Egypt, and then back. So I was looping on a tour. And then when my time off, I would live with my friends in Syria. My friends were Syrian. One of them was Australian who'd met a Syrian. Um, I had a few Palestinian friends, a few Iraqi friends. Syria welcomed lots of people from Iraq, from the, uh, from the war in Iraq. So they, they welcomed, just despite what happened with Syria now, and not, not a lot of people would welcome the Syrian refugees. Syrian would open their arms to uh, Palestinians, to Iraqi refugees, Sudanese refugees. So there is a whole network of people and I became good friends with them. And I really enjoyed living in a country where I could try to learn the language, uh, where I could experience, yeah, like you say, a different culture, but with such a nice yeah, connection to the people. How do you get around? I mean, you speak English. Do you, did you learn any, I think it's Arabic? Yeah. yeah, I learned Arabic there. Yeah. I really enjoyed it each day. And I'd have a little, um, I'd had a friend. Um, she was Syrian. She lived there. Her family, they would, yeah, she would teach me Arabic. I'd practice with my friends. Swear words, of course, right? <laughs> can you still speak it? <laughs> yeah, I can still. I mean, I get wow. it's. I have to. It takes a while to remember it, but yeah, I can still speak it. Yeah, enough to, enough to get by. I mean, I can know. I, I can by no means have a political conversation mm. um, about things, and I probably wouldn't want to. Like, but can you can, like how fluent on a scale of one to ten? Like ten, you can write poetry in Arabic and speak it, yeah. and level one, you know a couple of words. 
oh, I don't know, when I left, I don't know, probably four, level four, I think. I can write, I can read and write the script as well. I mean, oh, like, yeah. like a five-year-old probably, but. <laughs> still pretty good, I can't. <laughs> and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the immersion. I enjoyed being probably a Western woman in a country where whose rules and the way of the fabric of life was so different. And I think mm. us travelers seek that, don't we? I wasn't, and I became, I didn't become, I was no longer a tourist in that country. I was part of living in that country. And it was a very. Can I ask, why did you leave? Because it got too dangerous. And my mum, I think, called the embassy probably and told them to kick me out. <laughs> <laughs> Would you no, live there now? Me. Because I think um, now things have starting to open up a little bit more with COVID and tours are just starting to get a bit of momentum. I think you took a tour there a couple of months ago. Yeah. How yeah. was that experience? What, what had changed? Oh, I mean, a lot, a lot had changed. I mean, I had gone back previous to that two years before that, and that was quite shocking for me because of how much destruction had occurred in the country. So when I went back in March a few months ago, um, I could see how they had started to rebuild, but mainly they're rebuilding, they're rebuilding the mosques, they're rebuilding um, the souks, souks of the markets, they're rebuilding them. Um, and you can see now that people, especially in Aleppo, Aleppo was, this is where I used to live in Aleppo, that was destroyed. Half the east side of Aleppo was destroyed. So a lot of people are coming back now and it was really nice to see little shops had started to open. You know, one guy would sort out our tickets for the bus and it was nice to see his shop open or there's a little falafel store down the road and that had started to open. So it seemed like people are just, I mean, it's hard. I mean, the, you know, the money, the amount of money, the inflation, um, the cost of things for locals living there is crazy. Now everything's five times what it used to be. Yeah, I've heard that things, uh, well, heard, research <laughs> come out an hour or two ago, that people as like a, a means of making revenue and business is smuggling over petrol from Lebanon. Yeah. Is that how, I mean, so if you're driving around, like you can't go to a petrol Bowser and, and like how do you how do you fuel up your car is that so, the... well, we, we traveled through syria <laughs> with our with our collars like this because in the back there's two big jerry cans full of <laughs> petrol that they have to go and find off the black market so yeah all of the petrol stations are pretty much empty. and the driver's got a cigarette out the mouth as well at the oh, same yeah, time. yeah of course of course he's like <laughs> yeah what can go wrong down the road somewhere <laughs> <laughs> That, yeah. Oh man, like uh, God, it's really hard to. I mean, I'm so inspired to go and and visit. Like, um, like I look at uh, in modern history, and I think two good examples is maybe Germany and Vietnam. Like to visit Germany just at the end of World War Two, 1945. Don't do it. But there was a point in history where things got back on its feet and things started to change and things started to, and Vietnam's the same, like the, millions of visitors go to Germany and, and uh, Vietnam now, mm -hmm. but when would Syria, do you think, get to that point where, okay, it's a bit stable? I mean, it's hard to say you don't have a crystal ball. I mean, there's still tremendous amounts of conflict there at the moment, but you went there as a tour guide recently. I so mean, I'm a bit confused on the information. I'm like, well, one side's telling me don't go and you just went. 
But mind <laughs> you, you got to, I must, you have to accept the fact that, you know, you need to ride along with petrol be- uh, in the back of the car and yeah, accidentally get blown up by a cigarette or, or, <laughs> oh, no. or what, or, you know, or be kidnapped. What, how's the crime? Like, do you feel safe in the streets? Yeah, and I always did. I mean, I would always say, I mean, sorry, this is going back to a previous question where, uh, you know, before, even before, when when Syria was as peaceful as anything, there's no petty crime. People, if anything, there's so many stories in Syria of people, I suppose, I mean, we worked in Europe, didn't we? I would hold my bag to my chest. That was mm. that wallet never out. You know, so paranoid for everything. In Syria, I could, people would leave, people would have watches of money. It's a diff- bit different now, but people would have watches of money. Um, I could have my bag open. People would run after you if you dropped anything in the street. It was such a safe, safe country. Petty crime, maybe because, you know, you live in fear of your government slightly of anything, you know, to go wrong, but also because of the, you know, the Islamic code which they they live by. So there was never that in Syria. Now, it's probably because of the situation and people are living hand to mouth and people are just trying to survive. I'd say that, you know, there's a lot more poverty around. Mm. Um, you know, Syria never had a problem with homelessness because they look after their people, they look after their elderly, but now you see a lot of people begging. So I think now it's, it is more of a problem, um, which is unfortunate. And that is the fallout of war. You know, this is, yeah. this is what happened. But it is in terms of traveling around Syria, I ne- before the war, I never ever felt unsafe in any Middle Eastern country. There might have been like a dodgy, you know, an incident with a man trying to, um, you know, grab my arm or something. But that was probably once in the whole. Grab your arm. Yeah, but just as like not even in a in a in a sort of aggressive way, but just you know, just to be close to a female. So a creeper. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, I have more fear on the London Underground than I have ever, even to this day. Mm. I don't feel like that in Syria. Even when I went back. I mean, the companies that I work with out there, they they know the country too. They know where they can and can't go. They have friends everywhere knowing what the roads are like. There's so much security presence from the government, police mm. check. It would be really hard for that to be a problem. And, you know, Daesh, as they call it, or ISIS, who are off sort of in the borders between Syria and Iraq. Um, I mean, we, you know, if we were to head out that way on our own, then yeah, we'd probably meet a few problems. But there's no way that we are even... So you don't go to those those types of places. You go to more uh, safer pockets or or provinces, regions. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, we we wander around this, the old city of Damascus. There's never been a problem in that part of Damascus. Um, and then actually, fun fact: that's the uh, the oldest continuous city in the world. Yeah, between that or Aleppo, they they mm. argue about which one is the most. Well, yeah. thinking of uh, like. <laughs> I think we could just rattle on for hours of all the reasons why you shouldn't go there. And people will mostly act cautiously on fear when moving, when making a decision. So I don't think I can really convince two, like 99% of people who'll be listening to this, like, oh, I'm not going to go to Syria. I'm sure you can make it amazing, but maybe one day in the future, it will be safe to go. I will go because I'll, I'll book one of your tours. I don't think I'd be out of confidence to go independently and I don't speak the local language. So I'll be get stuck, I think, very fast. Uh, prior to this podcast, I did a bit of homework trying to find accommodation on Airbnb and booking.com. Nothing come up, absolute donut. I couldn't find flights there. So uh, if me, if I caught up a few friends, I'm like, hey guys, let's have a bit of a holiday. We're going to go to Syria. 
Like after they look, stop looking at me like, okay, yeah, nice joke, but I'm actually quite serious. Um, I don't think I have the ability or know-how or knowledge or expertise to be able to put it together from a group of friends to go. Uh, but how do you, can people do that? Like can someone from Australia just turn up and hire a car and drive in? Not or do you have to do like a, a more of a structured guided tour? Yeah, this is what's had now happened in the country, which I found very frustrating at first because Syria used to be so free. You could travel, you could just hop across on a little shared bus across the border, sleep on roofs, hike out into the desert. You could, you know, and people would, but now because of the problems now, everybody has to have either, it's like, it's a guide or it's sort of like a, a um, someone yeah who's looking after you like a driver or a guy that's been registered by the government um to pick you up usually they pick you up in Beirut you have a driver across the border or they meet you at the border um the, the border to Lebanon and then this official this guide has to is sort of responsible for you on your trip to Syria so you can now only stay for a, the visa is a maximum of 14 days so whichever agency you book through they um they sort out the visa, it then goes to the government, you then get approval or not. No Americans have had any, I think maybe, actually that's a lie, maybe about one or 2% of Americans get approval for their visa. It takes so long. So Americans are still not really able to travel. How do, you, how do you prepare? Like, so you're about to do a tour and you just did a recent one a couple of months ago. How many people be in your group? Mm, I, I only had four last time because a lot of them were Americans and they didn't get their visa in time. Okay, what are the common questions that you need to, or they you get asked, or you really need to prepare people before crossing the border? Um, I mean, the board. I mean, people were very surprised when the people on my tour very surprised at how safe they felt in Syria. I think because of what we know from media, because of how people present it, it's this war zone, and it. I mean, Syria got a bad press even before anything of this happened. It was always part of this axis of evil that never was so and um i think it is my word it is my word against yeah, all. i think I there's just, a bit of propaganda there um because oh, yeah. of what, what i've recently learned is the political ties between syria and russia yeah and iran too yeah so you know they could produce a gold nugget for the world you know find a cure for cancer and for yeah i can under, i can understand why you'd always get bad press why would you promote something good if you don't have good political ties that makes sense That's uh, sorry for yeah, cutting you, off, you, but yeah, so could you sort of elaborate? Like, so you basically like people were very fearful, and you're like, no, don't don't be scared. That's a that's a hard pill to be able to swallow, despite. Being yeah, I mean, I guess I guess those who are really fearful just don't come. Mm. <laughs> but even you know, I I mean, the people I speak to, my friends, I speak to over over the years, they've got now to know to understand when I'd be raging at the TV or raging at whatever's coming out about Syria that there is another side to Syria, which is one that I would, I've become a bit of an ambassador for the kindness of the people. And, you know, a lot of people, there's a lot of controversy now still about should people go back to Syria? And it's the same as we hear in other countries, isn't it? About should you visit a place that's, that is, that's basically, they keep saying, do not go, do not go. Whereas I'm saying it's safe to go, but 
it's not like if people are going there for the dark tourism i think we mentioned this about iraq i mean mm. i don't i don't agree with that i don't agree to go to a place to tick off a box to say you know, voyeurism to photograph like a war-torn building or something yeah. yeah whereas because i lived in syria before and what i loved about the country is what i want to show people so when i do if people are fearful this is what i reiterate i say look i lived in this country before i know the, the reason why i lived <laughs> in syria and lived in you know so it's, it's a developing country still it was living it wasn't as easy as living in in the you know internet would never work things like that so i just explained to people if anything that within a within a day people people know i introduce them to certain foods to certain people if i can Quite well can we know. can we find out cuz i've been looking at places that i think for me personally was interesting what do you go experience and explore from a positive cultural perspective or why do people, what's the good stuff to see in Syria? It's oh, the good stuff to see the old city of Damascus. It feels like you have, it feels like you are in the oldest city in the world. It's amazing. It's like a labyrinth and the smells of the markets are souks. It's how, it's how, I think it's how we would be, we would have been living 50, 60 years ago where people, families still come together. People do their shopping in the market. You have one street with all the meat, one street with all the spices. Everything's got tiny little lights. You have the mosque with the call, you know, playing the call to prayer. And it's, it's just, it takes you back to time. It takes you back to, there's still horses and traps pulling things around. Um, the desert Palmyra as well. I'm sure you've read about Palmyra, the ancient site out in the desert. That's beautiful. That's unfortunately been destroyed quite a bit. Um, what else? What else? What else? I can tell you something that's what else. Yeah, I think it's in Damascus. Uh, there's a... Yeah, the, the Damascus Opera House. Um, go on a Google image, folks, and type this in. Damascus Opera House. The architect is built in 2004, but they have this ancient sort of look about it. Like if you see all those like temples or moss that you know, hundreds or centuries years ago, it looks like they built it in the side of a mountain and it's all very sandy. It's very dry, but they that's how it looks. And in the inside, it's like, it looks like a state-of-the-art opera house, like, like the Sydney Opera House would. And you I was know like, what? I haven't even seen the opera house. Oh, well, you got to go check it out now. It looks like this giant cube of like modern architecture mishmashed with ancient architecture. Anyway, it looked like I'm not an opera fan, but the building itself was like, man, this is very, wouldn't have expected that. Um, yeah. I, I think soccer is a real popular activity. Like there's an international stadium there or in the city that you lived. Uh, it was like 50 odd thousand seats. Wow. Didn't even know. Yeah, like well, that's all on Wikipedia. <laughs> 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 well, so tell me about tell me more about the food. Uh, yeah, like um, everyone loves their food. It's always going to be a highlight of any type of trip and the uniqueness of it. Um, the freshness of the food, I would imagine, is quite good because, correct me if I'm wrong, your mass supermarkets, I don't think would be in place with, you know, mass produced pharmaceutical grade, but herbicides, pesticides just yeah, pumping out, uh, making grow for mass production. I wouldn't imagine that they have that. It probably is, I'm guessing, very fresh food. Yes, sort of 
Aleppo itself is, well, most of Syria is basically, it's what's called the fertile crescent. So all of the, I mean, they've had so many sanctions for so many years, they have, they became self-sufficient. So all the food is essentially what we want is organic. That's what they, that's what they have anyway. So yeah, all the, it's Mediterranean based, lots of sort of meze dishes, home-cooked food's the best. <gasps> you can get a home-cooked meal from a local family. Like my How friends. How do you put so much food? How do you do that? How do you set that up? For me, walking down the street, I don't speak Arabic. They probably don't speak English. Or do they speak English? Is there enough of a... Mm, yeah, they do. Wow, yeah. okay. So Very if, well educated. How do you think? I mean, if I was walking down the street wearing this hoodie, although it's probably going to be too hot, <laughs> but <I'll>, <laughs> I stand out, they go, that guy is not from Syria. He looks like he's from maybe the United States or something. Would the locals be very interested to get to know me? Would I be like that bit of a mini celebrity by accident? No, uh, not so much in Syria, especially not in Damascus. People, may, maybe a bit more now in the north because people are excited to see foreigners coming back because they believe that's going to hopefully fund their businesses because that's what they relied on a lot. So it's a bit of a positive for them now. But in Damascus, they're a bit nonchalant about it. They don't, we, we don't get sort of get that celebrity-esque status anymore. Um, but yeah, in the north, certainly, and at service stations, people are fascinated. But what's happened now, there are a lot more, Syrians would be very open and welcome. They're a lot more closed off now. They're a bit fearful of welcoming, welcoming people in. So it would be the friends that I know from there. But even then, that's hard for me to do because I have to have government permission now to see friends. Really? really difficult. Yeah. Why? 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 Is that this lack of freedom I've been Googling? Yeah, and people are a bit worried about getting told off essentially by the government for maybe mixing the list. I could be trying to find out information on Syria. So, yeah, it's all a bit... Um, very suspicious of people turning yes. up, trying to uncover yeah. what, what's happening yeah. at the country. Yeah. Wow. That's it, yeah. So that's why, and unfortunately then people obviously, as you can imagine, will just keep themselves a bit you know cards close to their chest so what would they I've be afraid of what what could be the here, but... i wonder what the punishment could be like if someone really was disliking the government and the oppression or they experience they meet me hey g'day mate i'm from australia oh you know you have a different mindset you got a different cultural perspective typically let me just mm. unload my thoughts of what, what is that what be fearful of i wonder yeah, they're fair, but they have so many minders in Mahabharat, which are the secret police. And even before when I lived there, people would be, I, would, I remember bringing this book about the Assad regime and my friends said, get it out of the house. I don't want it in the house. They're very paranoid about um, these like secret service, essentially. Mm. And there's lots of them wearing their leather jackets, wandering around. So everybody does speak a bit hushed and they keep it down. And they're just worried that these people would just constantly ask questions. And they're fearful. People disappear. People disappeared in syria well carly we are running out of time but i also love to finish things on the most positive note and like i said it's really easy just to focus on the negatives and especially mm. syria at the moment but uh i'm hopeful and confident things will change but can you suggest um if someone has got one week to spend oh you said the visa is only 14 days yeah how can someone maximize that time in 14 days as a tourist what would be okay because uh, I can't even figure out how you find accommodation there. How do you get around? <laughs> what do you do? Like, what, well, what, what does yeah, what do your is, tours involve? This is what I do. This is why I, I freelance for the companies based in, in the UK. I mean, I, I want to take my own tours out there, but we have an agent in the country and they have they book certain hotels 
um, they're encouraged to, they want to use the local homestays as well. So yeah, you can't book. How do you put that together? How do you find someone on Facebook or hey, you live in Syria? Got an idea for you. How do you, how do you put that together? There's an, there's an agent who I work with, who I've known and a driver um, who I've known for years now. Mm. So they, they sort of supply that package gotcha. um, to agents in the UK. And that's why, yeah, it's so it's expensive. It is expensive to go because you are using a guide. You are using a driver. They're booking everything for you. How much does a, a 10 day trip cost or 14 day trip cost? Uh, it's you. Well, at the moment, the trips are seven days because there's still access to certain areas. It's a bit restricted. So seven days gives you the highlights, essentially, of Syria. What, what, is, what, what are the highlights? Yeah, Damascus, Aleppo. You head out to Palmyra. You see the little towns of Hama. Which so you do sightseeing with locals. Do they have... Meet, lo- meet locals on the way, yeah. But the, the yep. driver's Syria, the guide's Syrian. Yeah. And then through, if I can manage to sneak off, if you travel with me, then you get to see the, you know, a bit of the local side. But what what do you like to do if I if we if we sneak off? Sneak off as much as we can do. Well, <laughs> I, in in the old town of Damascus, I would take people to a, a family friend of mine, and you get to say to have lunch in an old Damascan house, wow. and you get the best home cooked food, and you get their stories, and you just get to feel the kindness of what Syria is. No I do. I, I do. I, I've done some home hosted experiences in South mm-hmm. America. I didn't speak Spanish. They didn't speak English. Um, but that was so, that's something that sort of sticks with me even still today, like how welcoming that experience was. Mm. So perhaps that could be the highlight of the trip. You know, you'll arguably like worlds yeah. apart, so to speak, but culturally so different. Uh, the restrictions are very, very tough, but that's an awesome thing. And yeah. Yeah, you'd be surprised, Syria. People, yeah, people are very, especially Damascus. It's quite cosmopolitan. It's quite European feel. A lot of people speak English. A lot of people can speak it better than me. Well, we're <laughs> nearly running out of time. But I, when are you going to go back to Syria? I'm going back the end of September. End of September. <sighs> I'd love to be able to come with you. See we'll how see you go. Well, Carly, I really appreciate your time on the podcast. Um, There's so much about Syria, like we've just scratched the surface on this with the history, with the food, and how you even get there. I wouldn't be able to do it without you. And uh, if anyone's asking and wants to come to Syria, give me a call. We'll book on one of your trips and we'll have an amazing time. Yeah, that'd be awesome, Ben. And it'd be good to see you out there too. For sure. Really good. All right, until next time. All right, Ben, take care. Thank you. You made it to the end of the podcast. All right. You know the drill. Give us a like, subscribe, or leave some juicy comments. And thank you so much for listening to Get Lost with the Travel Guide, where we talk all things travel, tourism, and adventure. See you next time.